0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right. If you want to make your way back to your seats, find your Bibles if you have them. As you know, Advent and the Christmas season fills up with all kinds of things. A few things we want to make sure that you are reminded of and aware of. First, if you are new uh, or relatively new to Awaken, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us, so glad that you're here. Uh, It's a big deal to come to a church um, maybe for the first time. So I hope that you feel welcomed in in all the right ways. Um, If you would like us to know that you were here on our website, there's a place you can click a button that says I'm new. Somebody will reach out to you from our team, uh, invite you to a beverage of your choice, and uh, give you a chance to get to know us and us to get to know you. For those that call Awaken Home, a couple things happening. Tides of Winter will be here on Friday night. Who's got tickets to Tides of Winter? Show of hands. Yes, yes. This is going to be fantastic, you guys. I'm telling you. Um, I don't make guarantees often, but this one's ironclad. If you don't enjoy yourself, I will literally give you your money back. Uh, These folks are on Spotify, so if you want to check them out, you can do that. Tides of Winter, good friends of ours. 7 p.m. Doors will open at 6.30. Tickets are still available for that, and it will be a lovely, lovely evening. Uh, Number two, the... Currently, we're doing a little Advent meal drive, so if you are able to make a meal and bring it um, in the back at the Discover Awaken booth on your way out, there's a place, um, and someone at that booth, they can take those, Uh, and those are going just to folks in our community, so we try to keep the freezer stocked with meals that we can give to folks who need it. When they need it and uh, we we need your help for that so if you can participate that'd be great Um, the holiday schedule for Christmas Eve if you haven't heard two and four right here in this building both gatherings are the same Uh, we're gonna live stream both of them so if for some reason you can't make it you can still be with us uh, digitally there will be no church on December the 26th right after Christmas Um, so if you show up here um, you likely will be alone And I don't want you to be alone on Christmas. Uh, So please don't do that. And then January the 2nd, after the new year, only one hour, 10 o'clock. And if you'd like, you're welcome to wear your pajamas that day. It's going to be real low key, Uh, do a little sharing, and kind of looking back on the year. So that's always a fun Sunday. Uh, And last but not least, there's a market in the back. So if you didn't notice, lots of things for sale. Some artists bringing some things that they've made. Um, Some really good chocolates in the back there, Uh, some paintings, some stickers, Um, fun stuff. So please check that out. Uh, always a, a great day at the winter market. Um, it is week three in Advent, friends. Week three in Advent, and we have lit candles for, as I mentioned earlier so eloquently, hope, joy, and love. Uh, next week, peace. Jenna Daniels will be on next week, so we're looking forward to that. I'm I'm looking forward to that, and I think you should too if you haven't heard Jenna speak, but hope, joy, and love, and um, Right, Advent, this season of waiting and hoping, anticipating, sort of nurturing the things that are growing in the womb of winter and darkness, and waiting for those things to be born into the world. Uh, we've been walking with the prophet Isaiah in the ninth chapter, this, this prophet who reminds the people of God, who had been walking in darkness for hundreds of years, kind of wondering where is God in the midst of this, of this? and he comes on the scene and says, hey, good news, right? Right? Uh, Unto you a child will be born, and uh, he gives these names of God, and so we've been looking at each one of those names each week. Uh, This week, we'll do the same, and so if you have your Bibles, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, and if, if you are able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the word. The prophet says this, starting in verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us, the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Pray with me. God, this morning as we turn our attention to the prophet's words and this name, Everlasting Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would be present to us in the ways that, um, that we need. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. You may be seated. There are few words in the English language that are more weighted than uh, the word we're going to talk about today, which is Father. Um, i got to be perfectly honest with you all. Uh, When I thought about these four weeks and what I might say, uh, this one was... For sure, the one I was least looking forward to, the most anxious about uh sometimes sermons write themselves sometimes you kind of have to wrestle to them to the ground and today I, I came uh really not really not really knowing like how this would go <laughs> uh and yet it's it's gonna happen so um, um i suppose uh I've been a pastor at Awaken for 11 years. Uh, Many of you know me. You know me well. Uh, Some of you are just getting to know me. And um, I'd like to ask for um, some space today uh, to kind of work some things out in front of you. Uh, If you know me and you know my story at all, um, you may have thought to yourself, I wonder what he's going to do with Everlasting Father. And that's a fair question. Um, as I said, coming up to first hour, I still wasn't sure what we were going to do with Everlasting Father. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say what I think, uh, the Spirit has led me to say. Uh, I've written some things down, and, um, I'm going to say some of them. I probably won't say some of the other ones, and I'm probably going to say some things that aren't in here. And I'm trusting that this room can hold that space, um, Sometimes when people like me stand up on a Sunday morning in front of people like you, uh, something gets said, and it could have been said better or could have been said differently or should have been said differently. And uh, that happens all the time, and it may happen this morning. Um, So my hope is that Awaken is the kind of place where um, my experience in the past has been often when somebody doesn't like something that they hear in a church, uh, they say, I didn't like that, and then they leave. Uh, and that's not the kind of church that we're trying to cultivate. Uh, we're trying to create a space that we can all be human in, including me. And where if I say something today that is, uh, just doesn't sit right, you can tell me that. Um, I, I am not uh, bulletproof. I don't have you know, golden undershirts. Um, I'm just the guy <laughs> who's doing my best. And so we can have that conversation, and I'd like to. You can invite me out for a beverage of my choice, or two, or three, and we can have that conversation. And and I would be happy to do that. Um, But I guess I'm just asking for a little bit of space this morning to kind of talk about some things that I think are are important, but maybe difficult. Is that fair? Okay. thank you. Sometimes I ask all play questions and I'll ask you to kind of like answer or speak out, uh, you know, what you think or the answers that you may have to a question. Today I'm just going to ask a couple of questions and I want you to just hold whatever you're thinking or feeling. So, even if you would just close your eyes and when I say the word Father, what do you see? What images? What memories, what feelings rise up in you? I'm guessing that for some people in the room, when I say the word Father, what comes to mind is wonderful things, beautiful things, confidence, strength, someone who is supportive and present and, and cheered you on and welcomed you and embraced you. Maybe it's, you know... Big hands and warm hugs and and warm eyes. I remember, actually, when I was a kid growing up, the church I went to was Grace Church in Roseville, and the pastor's name was Galen Call. And Galen was a giant man, and I was just a wee little guy. And he had hands that were like the size of a bear. I mean, they were just huge. And you'd walk up at the end of the service, you know, and you'd shake the pastor's hand. And I just remember feeling so small, but so welcomed by him. And he would always, you know, bend down in his big eyes and this big smile and his, Galen Call. And I, I always thought, like, gosh, I wish my dad was like Galen Call. Maybe you have a sense of uh, gratitude or, or even fondness, missing something that maybe has passed. Uh, but maybe for others in the room, it's, it's a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and a lot of words that were spoken that you wish weren't spoken or words that you wish could have been taken back or um, maybe it's sadness Father, it's a, it is a mixed bag, yeah? So, as we explore this, this morning, uh, here's what I would like to do. Uh, I, I know what I'm not going to do, and that is, uh, I, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that when Isaiah, the prophet, wants to tell us about what God is like, he uses a, 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 a metaphor of a father, that the divine God is like a father. Um, I'll, we'll get to this in a minute, but there's a lot of reasons why for some of us that that's a little iffy. But I'm actually not gonna shy away from that fact. I'm gonna because it's in the text. It's it's not ambiguous at all. It's there. And I think it's important. I think fathers are important. And what it means to be a father and the presence of a father in our lives is important. So I'm not gonna st- apologize for that. And at the same time, I also want to recognize that at times when we read the Bible, it has this way of leaving some people out of the conversation, like half the room sometimes. And I want to be honest about that fact. Uh, I want to also be honest about the fact that typically in our culture, we think about gender as binary, right? This or that. And that we're learning, science is showing us that there is an experience of gender that is, that is not always this or that. And so what does it mean to understand the Bible and God and ourselves in, in this conversation? Um, I want to I wanna ask, like, why does Isaiah use this kind of language? So first, why does Isaiah use the male metaphor of a father? Uh, Secondly, like, what's the thing behind the thing? A lot of times in the Bible, you'll read something and it's on one level, but really what's happening is a click deeper, or a couple of clicks deeper, like the thing behind the thing. It's speech act theory, if you want to look that up. There's multiple levels of communication, right? If I say to my children, take the garbage out or I'm going to ground you for life. Has anybody ever said that before? You know, uh, there's there's the locutionary level, there's what I've spoken, but then there's the thing behind the thing. It's like... I'm not going to ground you for life, but I'm trying to, like, enact you to get to take the garbage out, right? There's a there's something I want you to do so I say something. So the Bible does that. What's the thing behind the thing? And then we'll try to wrap it up by, what does this even mean for us? It's 2021, people. How do we understand a passage like this, okay? So that's where we're headed. That's a roadmap if you like maps. Number one, why does Isaiah use this language, male father? Uh, if you were to go back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, you would find a verse in in Isaiah's um prophecy his word to the people that you would find also in other prophets jeremiah amos micah uh, and others places in the bible where you hear this kind of language and what the prophet says is this verse 16 wash and make yourselves clean he's talking to the people the, the the israelites the people of god take your evil deeds out of my sight stop doing wrong if you remember liar liar when jim carrey's like stop breaking the law it's like that learn to do right Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So what does it mean for Israel to be Israel? Like what kinds of things should they be found doing according to the prophets? Well, multiple times in the Old Testament we hear these kinds of words. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. These people, the ones who, uh, who maybe... Like Be the kind of people who will provide, who will protect, who will be a shelter for those that don't have an umbrella over their head or a safety net underneath them. Some of you know my dad passed away about a year and a half ago, 2020. And I had this experience, and I don't know if this is, is general or specific. Somebody actually came up to me after first hour and is like, I had the exact same experience when my dad died. So maybe it's more general than I thought. But when my dad died, I had this really weird Acute experience of feeling very, very vulnerable, like existentially, like a covering that had been over me was like now gone, and I was just naked and exposed to the universe. Now, I hadn't had like, a conversation with my dad in five years or so. He wasn't really a part of our lives at that point. So it's not that he was present and really involved, and then he wasn't, and I felt that. But there was just something clicked, something changed, and I felt like whatever umbrella was over me, covering me, protecting me, even though that wasn't necessarily true all the time, was gone when my dad died. When you think about Israel and what they're supposed to be in the world, according to the scriptures and the invitation that God gives, in some ways, it's this umbrella. It's this covering. It's for those people who need it, for those who are vulnerable, to be an umbrella, to be a safety net. So in the context that Isaiah 9 was written, the most vulnerable people in society, those who felt often naked and alone in the world, were widows, orphans, and immigrants. Right? Again and again you hear this sort of trope, take care of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. Leave, don't harvest your field all the way to the edge, but leave some for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the alien. The question that helps us understand why would Isaiah say that, that Messiah, God, would be an everlasting father, is what would make these people vulnerable? What would make a widow and an orphan and an immigrant vulnerable in an ancient context, in an ancient culture? And the answer to that question is wrapped up in patriarchy. Whether you like it or not, whether you have feelings about that or not, the Bible was written 2,000-some years ago, plus years ago, in an ancient world where there were tribes, and, and uh, your, your safety, your security, your provision was wrapped up in what tribe you were connected to, who your father was. What your name was. And so if you didn't have a father or a husband, there was a sense of vulnerability that you were exposed to the world. And so, for the Israelites, the people of God, he says, be to them like an everlasting father. Be to them, welcome them in, the immigrant, the orphan, the alien, the widow. Because these people were vulnerable in society. And and the keys to their protection, the keys to their life, to having a future and a hope was wrapped up in men and fathers. So to be an orphan, a widow, or an immigrant was to be outside of the covering of. It was to be vulnerable and without protection. So for Isaiah, when he says, based on it makes sense based on context and culture, that this Messiah, this promised one who will come, that will bring light, will be like an everlasting father. And that would have been, for the people who heard it first, really, really, really good news, especially the vulnerable, especially the ones who felt naked and alone in the world, who didn't have, to to hear that the divine was like a father who was everlasting, always present, never left, always welcomed you, cherished you, loved you, unlike the scene that we saw. That would have been very, very good news. So it makes sense that Isaiah would use this metaphor. It is gendered, and it does leave half of the people out of the room. I understand that. And if we read the Bible for what it's worth, for its context, it makes total sense. Now, what's the thing behind the thing? Let's dig a couple of clicks deeper. What's Isaiah saying about God by saying, this promised Messiah, for unto us a child is born, and he shall be called, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father. Is Isaiah trying to tell us something about like the the ontological nature of the divine? Like the very essence of God, that God is a Father. That God has certain parts, and not other parts. Right? Kids are in the room. No! Of course not! That's not what Isaiah is saying. That's... It sounds ridiculous to even say it. So that's not what Isaiah is saying. Rather, Isaiah is telling us something about the character of God that would be on display in the one who would come, this Jesus, and that would be consistent across the members of the Trinity. So for us, what character of God is on display? What do we see here? To the people who were vulnerable who were at risk of being exploited, who were alone in the world without an umbrella or a safety net. God is like a father to the fatherless. This is the heart of the divine. And the Messiah that Isaiah was speaking about, who would be God in human form, would possess this, would would enact this, would incarnate this. And so Jesus then is a love who never leaves nor forsakes, a love that always welcomes, that rejoices in our presence and celebrates us as we are, that takes us in and calls us their own. In the scriptures again and again and again there is this metaphor of adoption that that we that the people of Israel and now the people who are in Christ we get adopted into this family that we we really don't have any business being a part of and yet we're welcomed at that table always and forever as sons and as daughters friends This is what the love of God is like. In Isaiah, 2,500 years ago, to a people who had been walking in darkness, says to them, this has come. He speaks in prophetic past, it's called, as if it had already happened. This has come. Love has come. And it looks like this, an everlasting Father. So, as we make this journey of Advent... Through the darkness of winter, we're allowing whatever is being nurtured and wombed in this season to be nurtured and cared for so that it might come to life. Is there any sense in which, for you this morning, this is good news? Up in my office up there, uh, above the door, if you ever walk up there, you would see there's a picture that has Actually, it has four pictures, and it sort of tells a story. And the story is one of, uh, well, a lot of pain and a lot of anger and a learning, like a space that I am, consi- well, currently in. Uh, some of you know, and I've shared a bit about my relationship with my dad, it wasn't always great. And for a really long time, as a young adult, I was really, really, really angry, like, How does a hornet mad at God and at my dad that I felt like I deserved a good dad? I felt like I deserved a dad who, like, saw me for who I was and called things out of me that I didn't even know were there, who would, like, embrace me and and care for me and give me confidence. Like, I deserved that, and I didn't get that. And I was just mad. And if you knew me 15 years ago, you probably, I'm guessing you're going, yeah, you were pretty hot. You were you got kicked off your college golf team for crying out loud. Where'd all that anger come from? I don't know. I was hot. I was so mad about this. And I remember sitting in, in the Sea of Galilee. I got a, I'm in a lawn chair. My feet are in the water. I got a glass of wine. There's a group of us ta- sitting around, and somehow we're talking about this. And somebody says to me, well, Micah, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe God wants to be a father to you? And I said, So that's real easy for somebody who had a good dad to say that, oh, yeah, God wants to be a father. What does that even mean? I can't see that person. They can't, like, touch me and give me a hug and, you know, pat me on the back as I head out. They, I don't get any of that. So it's easy to say. So, and that night, that week, something cracked in me. And I wrote in my journal a couple of days later, God, I think maybe maybe I am I'm done being angry. And I'm open. I'm open to the possibility that you you would want to love me like a son. And so that photo up there is a progression of me at the, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. If you know where they shove the little prayers in the walls. And so I wrote that prayer on a piece of paper and I went up there and I stuck it in the wall. And I said, I'm open. Like, I give up. And I'm telling you, from that day to now, there have been moments where I have experienced to the core of my being, the very fiber of my soul, God loving me like a son. And I don't know how all that works, and I can't tell you, but I know it. And I want to just remind you this morning that however you came in here if if there were if there was just a whole bunch of luggage you didn't know that you were bringing in that that love is present and is available to you and for you today. And if you're open to hearing and experiencing God's love for you in that way, it's always available. Let me see if I can land this plane, and I want to move to what does this really mean for us? And in part, I want to to attempt to include a whole bunch of people in the room who maybe feel a little bit left out of this. So I'll do this in two ways. First, I want to preserve something that I think is worth preserving. And at the same time, I want to broaden the picture... And I want to challenge some things that I think are worth challenging. So it may feel like, how can you hold those two opposing ideas, Micah? Well, we do this all the time. It's called adulting. It is 2021. It is not 1951. It is not 1971. We live in a world that is full of information. And we live in a world that has progressed. Some. Praise God. Uh, you and I, you know, I, I, I like to think I know this church somewhat well. Like, this is a pretty educated group of people. Uh, we live in, this, in a city center, in a modern city in America, pretty progressive city center in America. And in our world, we, there ha- we have experienced, as of late, more so now than before. The challenging of, the calling to question the abuse of some men and fathers and the power that they have been given or that they took or whatever combination of all of that, right? Because they stood squarely on the top rung of the ladder, men in our world and throughout history. And we have experienced the calling to question some of the abuses of that power, I'm thinking of Me Too. I'm thinking of people who were in public positions that We thought we were untouchable, who were fired from those public positions. I'm thinking of young women who are, like, taking control of their own lives and their destinies and not letting someone else or somebody else or some other system tell them, right? I'm thinking of all of those things, and I actually want to say, like, I'm for all of those things, and I think the church should be for all of those things. I want to call to question the abuses of the power that's related to gender and the places that people have lived in our society and culture. I think that's the work of the gospel, and I think that's good news. Can I get an amen on that? At the same time, I want to actually not overlook or throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of what it means to be a father or a man. I live in a, a, a house that's got a lot of uh, feminine energy in it. And I, I pretty often find myself at the tip of a spear where I'm like, "Whoa, hold the phone here, friends. Like I am not your enemy. I am actually your best your I am your advocate. I'm your friend. I'm I'm cheering you on. I'm trying to open a door and like hold things, you know. I'm not that you need me to open the door, but if you did, I'd love to, you know. But in our culture, sometimes I do. I, I I'm not your enemy, right? So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. The role of fathers and men in our culture and in our world is important. Some of you may be and you maybe have listened to a little series called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's a church out in Seattle and it was started by a pastor who basically like founded the church with this one aim to call men, to question, to, to call them, to invite them, to not abdicate or evacuate their place, their role, their responsibility in culture, in work, in family. And the whole thing went way off the rails. So do not hear an endorsement of that. But I will say this. I don't think it started all bad. It usually never does. In fact, I'm listening to this, and I'm. this is like 2000 and. 3456 this is when i was really 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 angry about my dad and i really really desperately needed and wanted men in my life and somehow by the grace of god i didn't i almost i almost went to a boot camp they called it for church plant assessors in this network thank you jesus my point is this The thing started with a call, an invitation to men to say, don't evacuate, don't abdicate your responsibility as humans. Show up fully engaged as you are in your work, in your life, in your faith, in your churches. Be what God's invited you to be. And I don't think that's all bad. So I want to actually, I want to make that invitation today. Because I think it's important All of masculinity and all that it is in its beauty exists in the divine presence, in the divine being. All of femininity and all of its beauty exists in the divine being. Which leads me to this. Let's let's broaden this a little bit. I'll go on record and say that if Isaiah 9 were written today, A proper or a uh, uh, acceptable translation would be for unto us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting parent. Because what Isaiah is getting at doesn't just include men. So, those of you maybe who are here in the room who don't identify as male, but maybe identify as female, who've thought, well, oh, that's, a, that's a little, I, that's a short end of a stick. I would say to you, what Isaiah is getting at is the heart of God and that, that heart being an everlasting parent, and your work is included in that. I'm thinking of teachers. feel dominated by females who do the hard work of showing up early and staying late and getting underpaid and wiping noses that aren't even their kids or, you know, cleaning up messes that aren't even theirs. Advocating for, championing, lifting up students. That's the heart of God on display. That's like an everlasting parent who says, no, you will not be forgotten. You will be welcomed. You will be cheered on, championed, lifted up. That's what a parent would do. So to those of you in the room who maybe have felt left out at times in this conversation around the Bible and church and God, I want to include you. And as I said before, we live in a world that says it's either this or that. And I know that that's not true. That gender is not either or, but it is this experience that includes a spectrum and a, a, a number of things along the way. And so for those of you who don't experience life as this or that, I would say this includes you too. God is like an everlasting parent. What is a parent? What do they do? Not what we saw. No, the kind of parent that Isaiah is speaking of, the kind of parent that Jesus embodies is one who looks for the lost one. Who leaves the 99 for the one. Who sees the one who's been left out at the well at the hottest part of the day because of all the reasons. Who says to the tax collector who's been extorting his brothers and sisters, don't do that. Who challenges a person to become all that they were meant to be who supports and, 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 and champions and enlivens and says, you can do it. That is what God is like. And so this Advent, I guess I just want to remind you of that. That the prophet says to a group of people who were walking in deep darkness, that the heart of God, the essence of God, the very core of what God is like is this this kind of person who never moves you may wander a long ways off but when you turn around that person is always facing you you can always see their face that's this God and it's yours today the question is do you believe it for a long time, I didn't believe that God could or or would or that I even wanted God to love me like a father would love. And it's changed my life. I've experienced a part of God that I that I had never before. Do you believe this is true? I think it's good news. So would you pray with me? God, as we take a moment this morning and consider what it means to be called your sons and your daughters. To be taken in. To be advocated for and championed and loved and welcomed, cherished. To be named. To be called by our name, by you. I pray that wherever each person is in this room, that by your Holy Spirit, you would find us and be what we need you to be. So Holy Spirit, do your work. Friends, before we close, um, I just, I think it's important to say, uh, this is a text uh, about Father. And implicates parents and kids. And while that's true, uh, that's not everybody's reality. And I know that.. Um, and we want to hold that. So would you stand and let me offer this blessing to you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up their face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up their countenance to you and give you their peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.